0: This is Your Tech Report. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com.
1: Welcome back to Your Tech Report. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Marco Flalo. Follow along with us on Twitter. It is at yourtechreportfacebook.com. Slash your tech report, Instagram.com slash your tech report. You're getting the theme. It is your tech report. So, as we alluded to uh, prior to the last break, there was uh, a potentially a pretty big cyber attack that was averted uh, earlier this week. And, and to find out more about this and to really kind of dig deeper into this, we have an, a guest who's on the line with us, Craig Williams, Director of Outreach at Cisco Talos. Number one, welcome to your tech report, Craig. How are you?
0: Pretty great. How are you? I, I'm
1: good. You know, it's Friday. Um, you know, it's amazing how often. Things happen in the world, or almost happen in the world, that we don't even know about. And when this press release crossed my desk about this this cyber attack that was averted, I figured, you know, this is a good opportunity to kind of talk about security and talk about the, you know, kind of best practices that people can can, you know, implement in their lives. But let's talk about this this cyber attack. Can you give us a little bit more details? I hear about was a five hundred thousand infected systems that were just waiting for the command to attack that would have caused pretty big damage
0: absolutely so you know effectively what we found was uh we believe a well-funded nation-state plotting a way to attack other countries more or less anonymously and the way that they were doing it was through basically small business and home networking devices so things like routers things like your nas that you may store your kids pictures on they were targeting those devices and using those to tunnel through them so that as they carried out attacks it would come back to the home user or the small business and not the actual country
1: it's funny because people ask me a lot about things like malware and and how it can affect themselves and 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 I try to explain to people that it's not always about affecting the person in which you know installs that malware on the computer it's about sometimes and I've had you know websites and I've had my own servers and I've had people who have managed to get in and plant something and then you know, they plant, let's say, a web page that looks like an RBC web page login. And then they spam out people, and people come back and try to they try to collect information based on what they put on my computer, and I didn't even know it existed. So I try to explain to people, it's not necessarily about maliciously doing something to you directly, but sometimes it's about using you as a conduit to get to other people. And this is kind of an example of, of one of those instances, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. You know, you know, one of the ways I always think about it is, Effectively, what the bad guy was doing was recruiting an army, and that army that they needed was one that was spread out across the globe. And so, in order to build that army, they found certain types of networking devices that were very poorly defended because they hadn't been patched. I mean, let's be honest here: who wakes up, you know, on a Friday morning and thinks, "Hey, you know what? I've got to go patch my router." <laughs> that doesn't happen for the average home user, and the bad guys are taking advantage of that and using these devices to fight their battles.
1: You know, on, on an enterprise level, there are IT departments, there are people who are specialized in, and hired to make sure that the infrastructures maintain, you know, the security of things that are updated, make sure there are firewalls and, and VPNs in place. But a, a casual consumer on a home router, whether, you know, be a Linksys, D-Link, TP-Link, whatever whatever it is, how important is it to make sure that those devices are, are updated? And, and, and how, you know, are are these companies doing what they should be doing? to make sure that we even know we should be updating these?
0: Well, so let's start with the first half of that question. You know, I think it's absolutely critical that people take the responsibility to check to see if these devices are updated. And you know what? If you're you're not into that, if that's not your thing, well, when you get the device, log into it and just flip auto-update to on. You know, the vast majority of devices these days will allow you to do that, and that'll make sure the proper security patches are put in place. If you don't do that, you're basically risking these attackers sitting on these devices and spying on your network traffic. So things like your potential bank accounts, your passwords, your usernames, your Facebook profiles, everything that you thought was private and personal is now going to be in the hands of the attackers. You know, and for the second half of that question, it's actually a bit more complicated. right? You know, the reality is there is no device that's 100% secure even if you buy the world's most expensive and best and fanciest router and it literally has bells and whistles on it, it's going to have vulnerabilities someday in the future, right? There is no perfectly secure device, and so someone's going to find a bug. Someone's going to find a way to exploit that bug. And if you don't patch it, eventually people are going to find it and take advantage of it. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you go back and apply these patches.
1: Now they've also made it pretty easy to, as you said. Number one, you can turn automatic updates on, which means that you know an update's going to be pushed to your device and it's going to be updated automatically, and hopefully that doesn't affect your systems. But there are you know more complicated systems. I use Ubiquiti networking at home, so so I'm constantly in there updating patches, and and you know I've been you know victim of it. I always forget you know you know every couple days I, or every couple months I should really go in and make sure there's an update or at least turn on the auto-updates, or at least subscribe to be notified when there's an update so that I do it. But but here's an interesting question for you, because a client of mine came to me, and, and they, they have a, 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 a fun business. They're all remote workers. There's no real central office, so there's no server. They're using Dropbox for their cloud storage. They're using basic you know exchange email for hosting. And, and he came to me, and he said, someone told me that we should be using VPNs all the time so that our, our data is encrypted and we're always protected. Do you think that's a fair – is that a fair statement, or are we covered enough with our home Internet connections and the ISPs? What kind of precautions should we be taking? Is that a a fair statement to be using a VPN all the time?
0: That's a really great question. So let's let's address that at certain pieces, right? Because on some levels it does make sense, and on other levels it doesn't make sense. So for this particular vulnerability, because it affected you at a router level, uh, it actually might help. Right. If you're using an external VPN and the attacker is on your router, well, any traffic that's not already encrypted is going to be encrypted going through your router. So in that sense, yes, it might actually help you out. On the other hand, though, if your router is compromised, the attacker can still carry out attacks from it and impersonating you and all kinds of other bad things. So it doesn't necessarily save you from everything, but certainly using a VPN can help. Now, where it really helps you out is when you're using websites that simply don't provide encryption, uh, particularly if you're in a country where they're trying to filter your traffic or inspect your traffic. That's where the use of a VPN you know, for everyday things can really pay off.
1: Now here, here's an interesting one for you because um, uh, that's kind of how I responded to it as well. I kind of explained. I said it's when you're when you're at home, you're in a little bit more stable of an environment because you control that environment better. I said, but if you're on the road a lot, there are lots of instances when you're in hotels, when you're in foreign countries, when you're in public places, where using a VPN is is a smart idea. But when people go online these days and they look for VPN services, I, I'll tell you the top probably three four hundred. Are, are services that are are used so that you can watch Netflix in Canada and get the US content. You know, it's not about necessarily keeping your connection secure as much as it is about, you know, making you look like you're in a different location, which at the same time, you know, may serve the purpose of encrypting your data. That's great. But at the same time, it tends to slow it down because you're, you know, forcing your traffic through a different country. Are there services that people should be looking at that are, are smarter? Are there hardware that maybe is a better option? What would you recommend? And I'm not going to hold you to it, obviously, <laughs> but just kind of your opinion based on being in this world.
0: You're going to turn me into an advertisement? Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a very astute observation, right? You're absolutely right. So there are different tiers of VPNs. There are some that operate to provide security. There are some that operate to provide, uh, you know, uh, the impersonation of you being in a ge- geographic location. And then there are some that do everything, right? Uh, Personally, I use private Internet access at home, and it serves all of my purposes. Uh, But I think it is a couple dollars a month, and so I'm sure there are cheaper alternatives. But for me, it provides that security. It provides the ability when I travel to find VPN servers that are local to the countries I'm in, and I'm reasonably pleased with it. That said, it is important to realize that it is not foolproof security. Right? Even if you have an encrypted tunnel from you to the website, you're still completely vulnerable to all the different kinds of client-side attacks. So to give you a real-world example, uh, there's a type of exploit called malvertising, where right, I mean, I think we're all aware that advertising runs the internet, correct? Yeah, of course. Uh, And so what happens is basically a bad guy will submit an ad to an ad company that has an exploit inside of it, or it links to an exploit, and that ad will end up, say, on a major news website. Well, you know, you wake up, you go to the news website with your coffee, all of a sudden through your encrypted tunnel, which none of the security devices between you and the server can see, because it's encrypted, uh, spits that malicious ad back to you, and you become exploited. So having that traffic encrypted is a bit of a double-edged sword. While it does provide security, it can also provide security for the attackers because it will mask their exploit in a way that it cannot be seen.
1: You know, yeah, you know it's, a, it's, it's one of these things that I think people are... Um People are a bit naive sometimes when it comes to their own security online, and it's because there's a lot of information. There's a lot of information that try to spin you in different directions. Obviously, working at a company like Cisco, you're you know you're you see this on a, on a daily basis, and you, you guys have been protecting you know enterprises of of all levels. Um, what, what about the argument? Here's a good one for you, just for fun. Um, what about the argument that Macs aren't prone to uh, to viruses and malware?
0: Uh, I mean, you know, I, I say it as a Mac user just because I like the fact that it kind of built off of BSD and Linux. Yeah. Um, it, it is true that, so I mean, think about it from a bad guy's perspective, right? If a bad guy is going to invest 40 hours in deploying a piece of malware, you know, what are they going to target? What are they are going to target? What has the maximum potential payoff? And for years and years and years, that was always Windows, right? There was always more Windows users, and so it just did not make financial sense to target Mac users it didn't mean Macs were secure, right? Like I mentioned before, there is no bulletproof software. There is no bulletproof code. Everything has bugs. Uh, The thing is, are they worth looking for, and are they worth weaponizing? And so as Macs become more popular, that answer becomes yes and yes. Uh, You know, if you think back to things like Stage Fright, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Stage Fright was the one for Android. If you think back to things like uh, the the LibTiff vulnerability that we found, uh, effectively... PIP is a graphics file, uh, much like stage fright for Android. We were able to send a malformed image over a message to different iPhones and Mac computers, and it resulted in a buffer overflow, which, of course, had security implications, including remote code execution. Uh, and so there, there is no bulletproof hardware and software. Now, there are yeah. certainly ones that have a much better security posture, right? I, I think Windows is definitely catching up. I use Windows at home as well. So I, I don't really want to say that one is better than the other, but I think there are definitely pros and cons to each system.
1: Now, do you guys, do you guys have teams that are constantly looking for different vulnerabilities and things that are out there to patch them? Is, is, I guess there's probably an entire group who uh, are responsible for just that kind of you know job.
0: Absolutely. I'm just going to do a shout out. Hey, Yves. Uh, <laughs> Yves runs our vulnerability research team. Uh, they're incredibly prolific. I think last fiscal year, They were just under 300 responsibly disclosed issues. Uh, So when I say responsibly disclosed issues, uh, I mean coordinated disclosure, right? They work with the vendors. They try to make sure that the vendor can not only are aware of the issue, but that they understand the implications of the issue. And that that part right there is extremely important. A lot of times when you're working with a vendor, they don't necessarily have a full-time security staff. And so if you just throw something over the fence, it may not make sense to them. It may not get fixed completely. And EVE's team works really, really hard, and they try to create not only advisories, but they also create a dialogue with the vendors so that they understand the security issue. They understand not only how to fix it, but how to test for it going forward. So you know, they have dozens and dozens of issues. My favorite one is a LibTIF one that I mentioned just because um, our head of sales, we were doing a, you know, a conference at Cisco like we're apt to do, And, of course, he hadn't patched his phone. And it was everything we could do, not just send him one of those iMessages and crash his phone (laughs) on stage or make it, like, scream for help or something.
1: This example, uh, you know, 500,000, you know, infected systems, obviously you got law enforcement involved. How key is that element of it? Um, Not only on, on, uh, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, but how do you get other law enforcement agencies to, to help squash, you know, instances like this?
0: So that's an interesting question. So when we look at people always ask me, what's the Talos difference, right? And there's a lot of things that we do differently at Cisco Talos. And I think the main one is a lot of companies just focus on taking down the server, right? Uh, Anybody can have a server taken down, right? Anybody can have a bunch of samples taken offline. But really the core difference is trying to find a way to force the actors to change their business model because you make it A, too risky or B, too expensive for them to continue any other way. And so, Working with law enforcement, working with intelligence partners like the Cyber Threat Alliance, these are all things that we do in Telos to try and make it too complex for our, our adversaries to continue on with that business. Very cool.
1: Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's, it's kind of fun to, obviously, it's good to hear about things after they didn't happen as opposed to after they did happen. So it's a little bit refreshing, and I thank you for joining us uh, on that end of things. And I think that we have a, a good lesson here for, for our listeners and our viewers, which is really just, you know, make sure you keep on top of, of your devices and make sure you're you're constantly keeping things updated because doing that alone is doing your part in making sure that you might be, you know, in charge of stopping the next potential large cyber attack. It is your tech report. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Marka Flallow. Head on over to YouTube.com slash your tech report. Of course, uh, follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and whatnot. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back.
0: Your tech report will be right back.
1: I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.